It's good to be back. We appreciate your prayers. We had a wonderful trip to Germany. It was really a ministry trip with the side great advantage of seeing the grandkids and David and Kristen. But I just have a report for you. Have some pictures. It's good to see pictures. Um, and just so I don't forget also, you're going to see a picture of Adam in there. I don't know if there's one of Ashley. I didn't put all the pictures that I took. But today, Adam and Ashley were in Hamburg, Germany, candidating for full-time youth and uh, um, children's ministry positions. So pray for them. This is their third or fourth interview they've had. Uh, he's been studying German. They needed a youth pastor that spoke German because in youth groups, most kids in Germany speak German as their first language. So pray for them. As the church in Hamburg makes, Hamburg makes this decision, it's another IBC, International Baptist Church, like David ministers in. And so pray for them. That'd be such a blessing. They're still going to come home. They have to come home to renew their visa. So Lord willing, we're still going to see them. But uh, pray for them. We had a great time with them also. David and Kristen have moved. When they first moved to Germany five years ago, they lived on the outskirts, out in the country. It was beautiful. Way up on a hill, you could see clear over uh, the city and see the big Dome of Cologne right down there in the middle. But the Lord moved them from there into the, into the city, and it's just a great move. Now they're a couple blocks from the train, from buses. There's restaurants. Everything's right there. It's, the people in their church can make their way easily uh, to their house. They have youth group there on Friday nights. They have Bible studies there during the week. And so, and you can see they're in the middle of a neighborhood of children. So David's kids walk to school. It's very close with the other kids in the neighborhood. They have a whole gang of kids. And since David has the most kids, they all congregated his house. So we had fun when we first landed. We got to their house and the kids were all home from school playing. Next. First night, we had uh, the first Bible study. We had a Bible study we went to every night. It's like this church. They just really are fellowshipping together. And since they don't have a building, it's really like the early church. They just met in houses. And so here's the youth group. Most of the kids were gone this night. Something else was going on. But you'll, you'll see uh, right, David's right there in the first. You know David. Next to him is Eva. Eva is from Sylvania. She's a solid believer, and she is going to a year of school in Germany, and so she wanted to find a biblical church, so she's a part of their church. And you know Jens. He's been here, the next guy. Then Chris is at the end, Kristen. And then the young lady here, uh, right there by Teddy, is uh, a Christian from Iran. And so they have all of these, these nations in their church. It's just, uh, I was talking, to, you'll see a picture of Allison at the end, one of the faithful ladies there and says you know we believe our church is kind of like a little piece of heaven in heaven the bible says that there's going to be some from every tribe tongue nation and people group and i think they have 35 nations represented in their church all right next slide the first week we were there we met in this uh little church here it holds two to three hundred people but like many german churches uh the churches are dying there's very few people left and we couldn't meet in the regular Lutheran church that we uh, normally meet in because there was another event going on. They kind of get pushed out and in. But, uh, so we met there. The neat thing is, this is uh, right in the center of Germany. Many of you have been, of Cologne, many of you have been praying for them to find a building. Without, with just answer our prayers, we, we hope. The lady that's kind of in charge of uh, taking care of the building called David just before we went home and said, listen, um, there's, there's only 10 or 6 or 10 of people left in this church, and other churches use it. Would you guys be interested in purchasing this building? 
And so uh, they have already given Thursday nights for the college ministry to meet there for free. And uh, they've been very gracious. So this would be a great blessing to that church. Pray that maybe they would be able to get this facility. Okay, next slide is David preaching, as he does most every Sunday. Notice that pulpit back there. That thing's bigger than this. They got a huge pulpit. Next slide. We did one little sightseeing tour. What was the name of that castle? You don't remember either. It was really cool. What? I can't hear you. That's right. Talk. <laughs> That's great. But it's, uh, it's owned by the original family. And uh, it's, they still have a residence there. He's a doctor in Frankfurt and comes up. So we, we had the kids had two days off from school. So we did one little trip like that and uh, spent some time with them also. Next slide. There we are on the bridge. Not a drawbridge, but the bridge with the kids. Next so this is the exciting meeting we had. This is the prayer meeting for the new church plant in Bonn. All these couples travel for an hour to two hours to come to church in Cologne. And Eddie, which is on the other side of David in the corner, he's been a member of Cologne Church, one of the faithful deacons and leaders there for years and been praying to be able to establish a church in Bonn. And we believe it's time. So these people got together, Cesar and his wife, Evangeline, right here on the couch, um, they're, stationed, they're from the Philippines. They're stationed at the UN in there in Bonn. And on the couch is um, a couple from Germany. In fact, uh, well, he's from Germany. She's from the Philippines. And so I asked, um, have you guys ever heard of, uh, I know this is a crazy question. A lot of people in the Philippines, have you ever heard of a pastor from the Philippines named Ben Cabral? And she said, oh, yes, he's a very famous pastor. That's Sheila's dad. So small world with Christians. And then Adam's there on the far end. He wanted to make sure he got to this prayer meeting also. Okay, next. So David hadn't been to Bonn. It's right there. It's closer than Cheyenne is to here, but with traffic, sometimes it takes a little longer. Um, and we were meeting at Eddie's house. That's on the south end of Bonn. And so they want to find a place to meet for church. It's right in the middle. Now in Cologne, the University of Cologne is spread all over the city. So it's kind of hard to have a concentrated ministry to college students. But here in Bonn, the university is right next to this, the city center. In fact, the university is right on the other side of uh, the yellow, uh, that yellow building there. The fine-looking man in the statue, that's Ludwig von Beethoven. Bonn is his birthplace. And uh, there's David and my youngest grandson. And so we uh, just wandered around the city center, had some German food, and uh, just really praying for bonds. So you pray for them too because you're part of it. And their, their vision is not to, set, to try to just have a separate church down there, but they're going to have another campus. So David will go preach in Bonn in the morning. Then he'll be back to preach in Cologne in the afternoon. They have another area of the city in Cologne. They want to plant a church and have a campus, and that's up, in, uh, up by Slaybush by where they used to meet and so the vision of the church is to have 10 different campuses. And so he'll need more help preaching. But then once a month, bring all of the churches together for communion and worship and fellowship. Next. So this is the youth group the last night. Now, when you think of Germans, the way I used to think of Germans, I thought of people that look like me. 
because people are always speaking to me in German like I belong, right? And I don't speak much German. I say nine. I don't speak German. But these are all German kids for the most part. And uh, it, was a, it was a great Bible study. Most of these young people, except for the ones that were saved, like Eve is in this picture too, um, were not Christians a couple years ago. They've come to the Lord. Um, Jens leads this Bible study. And so David, David can speak German, but he teaches in English. But they respond in German, and then Jens, he translates for us so we know what they said. So we have this great multicultural, multilanguage opportunity there in Germany that we're a part of. Next. So on Saturday, before we came home last Tuesday, we had a baptism at this fellow's house. Pontos is the guy in the blue jacket, and then that's Adam in the middle, and then Johnny, who's uh, from Ireland, he's coming to visit here for the Bible conference. And Pontos is from Sweden. He met his wife there in the church. She's from the Philippines. So it continues to be this wonderful melting pot in the church. And so at, we are at Pontos' house for the baptism. Next slide. There's Christy meeting with the women. We just had great fellowship. This church, just like this church, that church is so hungry for fellowship. Church gets over. They stay for two or three hours fellowshipping. They love getting together. These are those that were baptized, some of two of them giving their testimonies with David. And here's David. He's getting ready to baptize Marco. Now, the, the exciting thing about Marco is here is an adult German that came to know Jesus Christ. His wife is from Canada. They got married, and pretty soon, like a lot of marriages Carl's going to teach today, they begin to have trouble. Well, one of the ladies in the church met his wife at the park. Their kids are playing. They got to know one another. She began to encourage her, eventually invited her to church. In his testimony, Marco said he was so glad that she finally had a church to go to. Now he concentrated on his own things. And so he got invited to church, and then he got saved too. And so David had him share his testimony here and then also on Sunday morning to the church. So pray for Marco. Next slide. And the food in Germany is awesome. Now, here, most of us try to stay away from bread. There, the bread is so good for you. Don't even put weight on. It's amazing bread. But this is definitely a German feast here. And Marco, I think Marco brought most of it. I think four or five of the dishes there are all fish from the North Sea. So being a good Swede, I pulled out a piece of pickled herring. And, you know, like most picnic things, you're kind of eating with plastic forks. Well, here, when you get pickled herring, it's all chopped into little pieces, you know, for Christmas. You do that? No, you're not Swedes. Anyway... So I pulled a piece of fish out. It's a whole filet. How are you going to get that down? Just like a cat. Just Anyway, next slide. This is, this is Eddie. Eddie was so excited. He couldn't hardly stand himself on Wednesday night. And so here on Sunday in the, in the church service, this is the Lutheran church they normally meet in, he is sharing his heart, how God has answered his prayer, and they're going to start this church in Bonn. So David is helping lead worship to one of the, they have several teams, but one of, somebody was sick, so he was leading music, and, and, and I always used to ask, and Jason doesn't give me many uh, requests either, but for one of my favorite songs, I know it's simple, very childish, but Jesus loves me the blues, so in honor of being there, he sang Jesus loves me the blues just before the kids went to children's church. Next slide. And there's Johnny and his wife Rita, she's from Chile, he's from Ireland, and they're little buddy Tomas and Maggie singing their hearts out. Johnny will be here for the Bible conference. And there's me. I'm preaching. 
So I didn't just lay around, guys, and take a vacation. I was actually working. It was a working vacation. Next. This is uh, the last night uh, after church, Sunday night. And this is Dean and Allison. Pray for Dean and Allison. They are such a wonderful couple. They've been in this church probably since it started. And they are beside themselves how much they love their pastor and what God is doing. Dean grew up in D. Martin Lloyd-Jones Church in London. And so he comes from a very Reformed background. She grew up Pentecostal. And they are the most wonderful, loving family and great, great encouragement to David. So remember them as you pray. The fellow in the middle, that is C.T. C.T. is from Malaysia. He came to Christ right about the time David moved to uh, Germany. And he's part of the church, probably one of the elders as they appoint elders. And he's in charge of the children's ministry. He's dating the girl on the end from Chile. And this is Ponto's wife from uh, the Philippines, and their son has a good Swedish name, Lars. Next. Well, David had some business downtown. He's trying to get a, they're trying to get a bank account for the new uh, ministry uh, they're starting for helping churches plant churches and, and train. It's called the Aquila Initiative. So we had to get a bank account, so we went down there. And behind is, is the Dome of Cologne. And I tell folks, when you go there, you just have to go down and see this thing because it's so amazing. The train goes right in the center, right next to the dome, this huge cathedral. And I said, tell you, it's like a Batman movie because you come outside and it's like this, this, this huge building. It's all black and it's coming right over the top of you. But it's amazing. It was built, what, over a thousand, almost a thousand years ago? And uh, they're always, it's never finished. They're always working on it. And it's gorgeous. Now, our kids would love if we met there because it's got literally a quarter mile track of cobblestone that runs around the whole center worship area although it's kind of a scary place because the whole thing's like a graveyard too right sepulchers and all kinds of statues of dead people that are buried there but it reminds us germany's a place full of church buildings but there's so little gospel witness and yet we as a church are seeing god do powerful things the church in Cologne, I didn't take a picture of the congregation, but they're busting the walls out, that little building they meet it. Now they're planning another church or looking to plant some other congregation. So we're a part of a live church. And Allison, who was in the picture before, said 40 years she's not been a part of a, of a living, live, growing church. And they're just blown away with how God, good God is to them. So you continue to pray for the church in Cologne. All right, let's stand and worship the Lord. Psalm 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. So many people say, well, the gospel can't penetrate certain cultures. That's not true. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Father, we are so amazed at what you've made us part of as this church. Last week we heard about the ministry that's going on down in St. George from this church. And Lord, this week, a report from Cologne, Germany. And, and Lord, we're praying for Adam. Lord, we pray, if it be your will, you'd establish him there in Hamburg to be a part of that church. And Lord, we're amazed at how much you love us. Lord, this morning, we anticipate every week this time to come together and worship, to lift your name up. So we ask that you would energize us 
Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, that we might be a blessing to your name as your children as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. That's exciting, isn't it? No? I think it's pretty awesome, man. Let's see if I can get my... All right. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for Titus. Lord, I pray um, that as we come this morning and we gather together, that we come with hearts ready to Learn, Lord, and ready to change. Father, I pray, as always, that we would not leave this building the same people that we came in. Lord, that you would convict us, that you would help us to change, you would grant us, Lord, repentance. We love you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we introduced the letter uh, addressed to Titus. We discovered that Titus was left in Crete to do two things. He was to set things in order. And he was to appoint elders. Within the epistles of the New Testament, the, the pastorals, that's First, Second Timothy and Titus, were written at the end of Paul's life. Um, they're clearly written as an instruction to us as, um, as those people who will go forward in the church outside of the apostolic era. So they become very important to us as we look at church structure, at church uh, ecclesiology, if you like big church terms, I guess I don't really like them, to be honest with you, but, but church government, how, how was it that God had planned on, after the apostles were there, how was it that he planned on the church moving forward with the apostles being gone? Uh, we also came to the understanding that Cretan, uh, that the Cretans were a culture known as liars, evil beasts, uh, and lazy gluttons. Interestingly, after last week's sermon, we've got a couple here that is a missionary couple. His wife is going to the West Institute, and he had come to me later, and he said, Carl, I can't believe uh, his name is Carlos. See, there are other Carls in here, just from a different background. Anyway, Carlos had come to me. He said, you know, I, I had an opportunity to go to Crete. And he said, I was so shocked that I got there. And what you described as Crete, and this is 2,000 years ago, he said, is very common in the culture today. He said that just the, the laziness, the the just get around and eat and tell big stories. He said it was absolutely alive in the culture today. And I just thought that was interesting that, that those are kind of things that get rooted in. And, and as a church, uh, we have to recognize those things in our own culture. And we have to ask ourselves, how much have we bought into those things that are not godly? Uh, 
And how much are those things affecting our lives? And so I think there's wisdom for us in Titus there to, to be careful, right? There's cultural things that we accept uh, that are norm. And today, um, uh, in, this, in this message, I, I guess this would be the shortest series in the world, but uh, being politically incorrect, Titus is definitely going to challenge some of those typical American cultural things that we have going on in our lives and in our church. So we also established that the church in Crete, although we can't be completely certain, was probably birthed uh, by those hearing the preaching of Peter at Pentecost 30 years earlier. So some of these men were leading the church in false doctrine, doctrine which required a man to follow the law in order to be saved. And I think it's so important. It's so, uh, I don't know that it's not hidden really, in there, but when you look at there in chapter one, you, you clearly see that Titus is called to rebuke, rebuke those men, not just for rebuke's sake, but so that they might be sound in faith, um, Titus has said. So, so not just for rebukes, but why? So that they would understand that this word sound Paul uses over and over in Titus, that you are sound in doctrine, that you are sound in the faith. So the heart of, of the rebuke is not, I hate your guts. Right? The heart of the rebuke is that you would come along, that you would, that you would understand that it's only by grace that you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So the, so the exhortation of God's word is, is that, that uh, don't teach false things, but come along into what is right. We observe that the character qualities of those who are appointed to be elders by Titus were men who already existed in the church. It wasn't something that they had to, to, here's my list of things I've got to get there. Now, in Timothy, we know that, that uh, Paul encourages Timothy in 1 Timothy that if somebody desires to be an elder, then they should, they should look like these things. But in Titus, he's going to an established church. He's going to find these men that have these qualifications, but the Spirit of God has done the work in already, and he is going to appoint them as elders. The elders were to rebuke the false teachers sharply, that they may be sound in faith. Even though they needed to be rebuked, they all, it was clear that they needed to be saved by faith. So finally, we concluded that Titus needed this letter from Paul to help him establish authority for his uh, very politically incorrect message. We asked that question, well, why, why, why did Paul write this letter, right? It's... I left you there for this very reason. Well, Titus hadn't forgot, right? It was clear that he was going to get a lot of pushback from these established churches on, on uh, him coming in there and saying, yep, you're, you're a false teacher. You're, you're not to be leading in this church. It's this kind of man that God is going to honor and, and establish and raise up. And so that brings us um, to chapter 2. Here Paul instructs the church on how to act. Uh, this is a chapter in which we can get our marching orders as a church. This is Paul instructing Titus on how to set things in order. He addressed both men and women, starting with the old and moving to the young. So while I was studying this passage, uh, I came across this story. I may have to cut this out later, depending on whether or not you laugh. <laughs> Are you ready? Here we go. This, uh, these passages are going to consider what it means to be old and young. And so since we all get to fall into that, uh, I, I want to share this with you. 
Three sisters had lived together for a number of years. Their ages were 92, 94, and 97. The 97-year-old drew her bath and was halfway in the tub when she yelled out, was I getting in or was I getting out? The 94-year-old, who was downstairs, hollered up, wait a minute and I'll come up and help you. She left the kitchen and started up the stairs. Halfway up, she stopped, stood there for a moment, and then called out, was I going up? Was I coming down? Their youngest sister, 92 years old, was sitting at the kitchen table having a cup of tea, listening to her sisters, one now stuck in the tub and one on the stairs. With a smirk on her face, she, took her, she shook her head and said, goodness, I hope my memory never gets as bad as theirs. Knock on wood, she yelled out. I'll come up and hold you both, or help you both. Oh, wait, she said. I need to find out who's knocking at the door. <laughs> Man, it worked. <laughs> so, Paul begins this, this chapter, chapter 2, uh, with addressing older men. In the first century Greek culture, the titer of older was given to those who had passed to the age of 50. So if you were 50 years old, you um, are approaching 50 years old, or you passed it long ago. Uh, when Paul is speaking of older in the New Testament, he is speaking to you. Um, these men, men and women were uh, to be working towards these goals in lives. So unlike the elders uh, who are clearly, were, were, uh, Titus was to establish just recognizing the fruit in their lives, these are things that are good works. They're things that, that men and women in the church should be moving forward to. They should be making them their goals. Um, all of these attributes are considered good works, not for salvation, but as you see in verse 5, that they should do these things that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Or again, he says in verse 8, so that the world will have nothing evil to say of you. And finally, in verse 10, that they, will, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. The point of these works is not salvation. It is so that we as the church can be the light of the world to the nations. Here we get a structure of what it looks like to be a discipleship within the church. You'll hear us more and more talk about small groups, and I think we're going to define those more clearly in Bible studies and things in the future. But much of this is already going on. Uh, at Laramie Valley Chapel. There are 32, uh, right now that I'm aware of, 32 specific Bible studies slash small groups getting together every week or sometimes more than once a week in the church practicing these things um, that, we'll to, that we're to look at here. So let's take a look. Older men, nobody gets away from this. So then the older men are to be sober-minded, reverent, or sometimes translated dignified. The older men are to be temperate. That's, that's to, to say that we're not hot-headed or not, <laughs> I don't get to say we. You're not hot-headed. I'm not there yet. And, um, not being led to and fro by every passing thought or temptation. Sometimes in our lives I know that I work hard as I walk with the Lord to not be built up by people's opinions by me or, nor tear down. It's difficult to do sometimes, but but the idea is that I want my identity to come from Christ. And it's clear that older men should be at this point. They should be moving towards this, this point in their life 
where they're sober-minded when they think about things, that, that things, that it's just like, oh, that's another passing thing, or a temptation for that matter. They're, they're clearly men who, who recognize the temptation. They're not going to ignore it, but they recognize it as such and will continue to move on living and loving God. Um, they're to be sound in faith. That's literally, as Paul's bringing that theme all the way through this letter, that this is the... the, the the doctrine of faith, our salvation by grace through faith. They're to be sound in what it looks like. What are the doctrines of grace? Do you understand them well as older men? They're to be sound in love. This word love is, is going to be very opposite of the word love used uh, for the older women and teaching of the younger women specifically. Um, this word is agape, which clearly speaks of a disciplined love that is not self-willed or affected by others' poor choices a consistent, forgiving love which puts others first and that, and that which the world does not understand. I think for all of us, uh, the agape is one of the most difficult things that we can do, and that's to love somebody in such a way that they don't deserve. And I think men specifically, and especially in the Western culture, tend to think we have the right to bow up, to be angry, to hold our grudges, and we do not. That's, that's something that an older man is supposed to be well-versed in is choosing to love in a way that Christ loved him. He is to be sound in patience. Patience is evident of a person's faith in God's sovereignty and his providence in their life. Often if I'm impatient, I get angry. Why do I get angry? Because I'm clearly, I've lost, lost whatever perceived control that I think that I had. In other words, what am I saying? I don't believe God's in control. I don't believe that he's providentially working all things together for good for those who love him. In verse 3, Paul doesn't leave the older women out. He says this, Likewise, or in other words, just like the men, be dignified. He adds, not slanders or malicious gossips, some translations have. Not given to much wine, this fits well with being dignified. I've never seen a dignified drunk. Oppositely, Paul tells the older women to be teachers of good things. This, of course, tells us that the older women of the church should be looking for younger women in the church to teach. So here's my question. If you're an older woman, are you actively seeking these qualities in your life? Secondly, if you share the qualities that Titus has List, or that Paul has listed out here to Titus, are you seeking younger women to pass them on to you? Transversely, if you're a younger woman in here, are you open to an older woman speaking into your life? Are you making time to make it to a Bible study? Are you broken? Are you hurt? Maybe you're broken and hurt and you don't know you are. Find a way into one of these 32. I think there's 17 women's studies going on throughout the week. Paul's going to list out that, that which is to be taught to the younger women. Younger women, you are to be learning from the older women. I think it's one thing to, to be noticed here in the scripture. That they, they're going to talk about some fairly, or he's going to talk about some fairly intimate things. And I want to clearly point out, men especially, it's not your job to teach these things to the women. It is clearly the older women's role to teach these things to our younger girls. First and foremost, to phileo, 
This is the word that I told you earlier. This is a different word. It's translated love um, to your husband. This word speaks more of what we call love in America. It's more emotional. It's more attached. It's very personal. I think sometimes when we think about Peter coming back to Jesus and Jesus restoring him, he's saying, Jesus, uh, Jesus is saying to Peter, do you agape me? And, and Peter is responding, I phileo you. And I think we sometimes look at that as a negative thing. And I, I don't think that's necessarily negative. God gave us an emotion. Peter passionately loved Jesus. And that's the point of that text. And Jesus ultimately is going to end up there using that same word. And Peter responds back. And what's he say? Lord, only you know my heart. Phileo is not a bad word. Right? It's a word that is passion that we should love our husbands and our, ch- excuse me, and our children. This, might be same, uh, this may seem strange to us, but it's instructive. Many of you heard uh, the term that the honeymoon is over. Uh, this refers to the, pit, the potential loss of feeling for your husband. And so I can only identify in that I know the kind of person I am, and so I'll share a little bit with you about my wife and I, when we were first, when we were first married, very young, and uh, in our early 20s, um, and I had grown up in a home where my mom, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I appreciate it, she made my bed for me every day. There was never a dirty dish. There was always the trash taken out. She worked her tail off constantly, which allowed me to be very lazy. Um, now, Val grew up very oppositely. She had a, a, a more difficult home. Uh, where there was uh, an alcohol addiction in there and some other things. And so we have these two people that came together. And although we were passionate about each other early and, and loving to get to know one another, it didn't take very long of coming into the same home and all of a sudden we realize that we're coming from two completely different worlds. And this was what we thought was, uh, you know, I think of often marriage is kind of like the first year, two puppy dogs running along the the railroad track, you know, and you're coming to the light at the end of the tunnel is, is marriage. And then when you get married, you realize it's the train coming the other way, right? <laughs> that things wreck and stuff goes everywhere and you got to kind of start picking it up. Um, what am I saying here? That it's easy for a younger lady to lose their passion for their husband when those character things where he's not built up, he's not a, becoming a man yet in, in areas that uh, you're being encouraged, younger ladies, to love, to phileo your, your, your husbands and children. Secondly, younger women are to learn to love their children. Although this is strange to us, in the culture of arranged marriages, of which would have been very, very common in the Crete time and first century, and is throughout the world today, uh, a wife may have to learn, literally learn, to love her husband and her children. It has been reported that in America, the two most vulnerable times for divorce are in the first seven years and after 20. The first seven, just because it's rocky and you've got to die to yourself or it's not going to work. And the after 20 is clearly because wives and husbands love their children more than they loved each other. So church, let me encourage you. Focus on these things. Love your husbands first, wives, and your children second. Make time to make that relationship an important thing. Also, younger women are to be learning uh, from their elder ladies to be discreet, also translated as sensible and sober-minded, and to be chaste, also translated to be pure. 
One commentator notes that women coming into the church from the Cretan world would have celebrated the freedom to flaunt through sexual expression and wardrobe. Prostitution and everything else imaginable was not only legal but normal. Young women coming into the church would need instruction from older women simply because they had never benefited from the modest mothers who modeled pure and chaste behavior. This is why Paul openly challenged the women about their appearance in his letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2.9, it says, Likewise, I want, a woman to adorn, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, and discreetly. I recently read an article on the subject of modesty. The author had done some research which revealed that large numbers of today's middle school girls are wearing clothing that would have been that would pass would have passed for that which was being worn in the prostitution districts in the 1980s. Parents, carefully consider what your children are wearing. The Cretan culture is sneaking into the back door. Well, in case this text hasn't uh, cut you to the bone yet, Titus is also commanded to teach that. Our young men are, women are to be discreet and chaste, but they are also to be homemakers, good and obedient to their own husbands. Titus has clearly been sent here with a message that is politically incorrect. Well, the young men are not left out. In verse 6, it says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. If you're paying attention, you will have noticed that each demographic so far has been encouraged to be sober-minded. This is a common thing through each one of the four people or four people groups addressed here. This idea of being sober-minded. Well, there is probably no bigger group of people than the young men that need to hear that more. A sober-mindedness has left what it, uh, has left our culture within our young men. So the other, uh, the other night I had an opportunity to get together with the young men here at youth group and, and I was honestly, I was impressed. We got together in a small group. They were very well spoken. Um, we had a great conversation about what it means to be saved by grace through faith and whether they could identify what the gospel was in their lives and it's helping me to get to know who they are since I'm kind of new in their lives and, and I thought, man, these kids are really pretty cool. So we got done, we wrapped up, they had their snack, and maybe it was that, it was the sugar. Maybe we need to go to like a laxative or something. But anyway, as the kids were leaving, man, it was like a whole new brand showed up, right? They had flipped the page. They got outside, they were screaming and yelling. They got in their trucks, they drove off, they were doing cookies and yelling. I could hear them yelling all the way down, all the way down, and all the way past, yelling out their windows, rah! That is not sober-minded. <laughs> Older men, I encourage you to help your young men. In my home, I have boiled it down to one word, and I just have to look at my boys right in the eyes, and I say, filter. Everything that comes to your mind doesn't need to come out of your mouth. You need to be sober-minded. Young ladies, stop looking for the noisiest boy who draws attention to himself. Look for the young man who, uh, who has his head in his books, his mouth shut, follow after the things of the world, knows his God, and believes his word. In short, 
Look for a young man who is sober-minded. Also, young men, you are to be learning sound doctrine. Like the older men, it's on. <laughs> like the older men, young men are to be sound in doctrine. Young men, can you tell me the doctrine of God, the doctrine of anthropology, Christology, ecclesiology, eschatology? Are you seeking to learn sound doctrine in your lives? Young men, you are to be showing integrity, reverence, and to be incorruptible. Integrity, are you a man of your word? Can you be counted on to show up on time, ready to go? Reverence, do you talk to elders or people of authority with reverence? Not because they deserve it, but because God's word says it. Are you corruptible? Young man, are you easily led astray into the things of the world? When you are away from the church crowd, do you act like the world? Are you corrupted? You see, beloved, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is commanding Titus to set things in order. In other words, these things are not suggestions for the church to get around to. This is how the church is supposed to look to a lost and a dying world. We're to be salt and light. Have you lost your saltiness? Have you put your light under the basket? This is the bare bone structure, the skeleton of which the living organism, the church, is to be operating on. False teachers were saying that you have to do good works to be saved. But Titus was to proclaim to a group of unrelated people that your church was to come together as a family, to lean on one another, to do good works, that the world might see a people reflecting God on this earth. Six times Titus is commanded to teach the people to have good works. The question is why? Verse 11 through 14 answers that. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What I don't want to communicate this morning is that we just go about this list doing this dry thing. What I want you to understand is that the church is called out from all kinds of peoples and all kinds of groups. This is a structure. I, I think I used this last week. It's, you know, what would a body be without its bone structure, right? It's, it's, we would be this goopy goo just sliding off. We would have nothing to operate on. What I want you to understand is the joy of being in discipleship, the joy of letting an older man speaking into your life if you're a younger man. I, uh, not too long ago, got a, a Facebook request for a friend from a young, young kid that was in my youth group years and years ago. And I hadn't thought of him. As a matter of fact, he, when, I, when I saw his name came across, it was Jacob. I can't remember his last name right now. But um, anyway, I went ahead and, and accepted that request. And, 
And uh, he, wrote, he went on to write me this long message about how I was, although he had grown up in a godly home, that I was the only other man in his life that um, encouraged him and exhorted him to know and love Jesus. And that brought such joy. I literally sat on my bed and just wept. I just thought, man, what, does, what God does. And I, I can tell you, at that point in my, my walk, I wasn't but a year into knowing Christ. And I'm a youth pastor. Shouldn't have been. I didn't know a thing, you know. But what I did know is that I could love that young man. And I could encourage that young man. And that years later, after he's been married and he's got a couple kids, that he would look back and he would be encouraged. And there is such joy in just serving the Lord. Right? We could look at these as some list of things to do. I don't think we want to do that. It's a structure. It's a guidance for us to do. We should move towards it. But know that if it's not to create life, then it'll be death. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Titus. I thank you that this letter, um, in some ways, didn't really even need to be written for Titus' sake. He knew what was expected. But Lord, you preserved it for us. And it's so helpful, it's so instructive for us to turn and to measure our lives and take a look, Lord, where maybe sin or our own culture has crept in and, and we have maybe passed off your word as some sort of suggestion, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would convict us deeply, that we would move towards you quickly, Lord. You would grant us repentance in the areas that we need to. And Lord, I pray that you set in our hearts the joy of serving you and what it looks like just to follow after that what you do, knowing that who, who knows what kind of effect it will have in other people's lives, Lord. Just give us the heart to be obedient to that which you call us, Lord. We thank you and we'll give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.